0: May that all, may that be our prayer for all of us this morning is to please our Heavenly Father's heart. What a blessing it's on, Laura. Thank you so much. Uh, well, happy Father's Day again. Uh, it's a wonderful blessing to know we have a Heavenly Father in Heaven that loves us. And I just pray a special blessing on all of you fathers here this morning. If you'll go ahead and turn back to our scripture text this morning, Psalm 128. Starting verse 1 here in a moment. You know, if my dad was here, of course, we'll be with him this afternoon, but if he was here with us this morning, I, I would tell him that I wouldn't trade him for anything. Of course, no one's ever made me an offer, so maybe, maybe I'm not sure about that. You know, he's, he's asked me several times over the years. He said, Son, have I been a good father to you? And I'd say, Well, sure, Dad, of course. You've been great. Why do you ask? And he'd say, well, I just want to make sure that the way you turned out was your fault, not mine. <laughs> father's Day has a different feel than Mother's Day traditionally. Uh, I don't know exactly why it is, but it seems like mothers get all the love and praise and fathers get all the lectures. And I think, however, that it speaks to the tremendous responsibility that men are given. Now let's be clear, the, the problem with the world is sin. And the answer is for men and women, husbands and wives, to come to know Jesus as their Savior. That, that's the true solution for the world. But the sin problem is openly manifested in the breakdown of the family. If the family is the basic unit of society, then the man is the leader of that family. And so, as the man goes, so will the wife and the children, the family. So goes the community, the church, the nation, ultimately the world. As such, there is a great demand and stewardship given by God to us men. Our text this morning gives us the ideal, the ideal situation. And I understand that we don't live in an ideal world, certainly. That's an understatement. Some homes have already been split apart by divorce, and a single mom is, is trying to hold everything together. Other homes find uh, mixed marriages where the husband is, is uh, apathetic at best or hostile towards the gospel, and that mother is trying to provide spiritual training for her children as best she can. And this morning, I always say, if your family is far from ideal, don't despair. It doesn't mean that God won't bless you. Whatever the situation, simply fear God and and keep his commandments. Be faithful to him and, and let the details be in his court. But just because we can't totally follow the ideal, let's not scrap the plan. This is something that's been promoted in many circles. Well, if we can't have the ideal as too hard, that doesn't exist anymore. Let's just go ahead and scrap it and come up with our own ideal in society. The Lord calls us men to steward our families according to the gospel. And that means simply that we are to prioritize our life around Christ and his kingdom. We're to be teaching and shepherding our family with the good news of Christ. We're to be displaying grace in all of our family relationships, pointing out sin, yes, but dealing with it according to the gospel with forgiveness and pointing our children, wives, and ourselves to the need for Jesus Christ, our Savior, and certainly leading our homes to be gospel-focused and evangelistic as we share this gospel and the love of Christ with others. There is a blessing associated with a gospel home, and it builds a heritage for generations to come. What do you want your kids to remember you by? Do you want them to remember your your job or what you did for a living, the way you kept your yard, the house that you provided for them? Uh, Do you want them to remember you for the amount of sports you loved or uh, the size of your retirement account? Well, my hope as a parent is that my children remember me for my character. And it's hard, but... I want them to know their father as someone who loved the Lord and uh, lived out the gospel. And so this morning, as we look at Psalm 128, I want to point out a few principles contained in this text that will instruct us on what a gospel home looks like. Specifically, what a gospel-centered father and husband is to do in leading that home. And so first we see that a gospel-centered father will look to Christ. Yes, there are many distractions in this world for men, uh, many things vying for their attention and time, but but men must look to Christ for direction and purpose, priority. Look at verse 1, and we'll see two important factors here in looking to Christ. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. So we see there's a blessing associated with fearing God and walking in His ways. First, fear God. You may fear many things. You may fear of losing your job. You may fear of uh, losing your wife. Maybe you fear your kids looking, making you, you look bad or, or not doing good in school, not getting that scholarship, not doing good at sports. But we are supposed to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. A proper fear of the Lord is, will set the stage for everything else in life. It's important enough for the psalmist here that uh, in two different verses, verse 1 and verse 4, he, he speaks to this fear of the Lord, and there's a blessing attached in both cases. Most men would, would fear facing their boss for a uh, performance evaluation if they knew that they were underperforming. Right? They would have a fear of sitting there uh, in front of him getting told what they didn't do right, but that is inconsequential compared to the day that we will be before the Lord giving an account of the stewardship, the spiritual stewardship that we've been given of our families. Now fearing God uh, stems from knowing him, okay, we must know the Lord to properly fear him. Think about it like this, knowing all about a chainsaw, how it works, uh, the operation of it, how it's put together, the safety, the safeguards. Knowing all about that chainsaw, it doesn't cause me to not want to use it, right? It doesn't say, well, knowing more about it says that I'm not going to touch it. No, it just gives me a proper respect. I treat it with a proper fear and respect as I use it. And this should certainly be the case with God. Uh, The more we know and understand God's holiness and his majesty, his sovereignty, the more that we'll have a proper fear and respect for him. And that will hopefully permeate our lives. Now this also implies that we will walk in his ways in in verse 1 and keep his commandments, keep his commandments. Solomon in all his wisdom uh, and all of his experiences in this world concluded this, fear God and keep his commandments. We see this there in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13. After all is said and done, he says the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, Solomon was the wisest man. Uh, He was extremely rich. He, He had everything. He experienced everything this world could possibly offer. All the joys that were had from this world, he experienced. And having everything and experiencing everything in this life that a man could dream for his conclusion was that it was all vanity. All vanity. And the best answer is to fear God and keep his commandments. We need to trust his wisdom. We need to trust that example that God's given to us. And man, we, we must look to Christ. Must look to Christ. He is both our example of, of how to do it and, and our goal, our supreme goal that we are striving for. Looking to Christ helps us to keep focus on our priorities. Now, also in in verse 2, we'll see that a gospel-centered father will labor for Christ, labor through Christ. Verse 2 says, When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, and it will be well with you. There's a value in laboring for your family. And enjoying the fruit of your labor. That's what this verse is talking about. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, the fruit of your labor, you will be happy. As we labor, we do it through the power of Christ who strengthen us. So there's two elements here in regard to labor. One is work. Men simply need to work. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Laziness and slothfulness is a sin. And unfortunately, it has trapped many men in our society today. Uh, Men that are perpetual adolescents. They will not rise up to the challenge, what God's called them to be. Now, some men are, are physically not able to work, or they're mentally not able to work, and there's no shame in that. But for the rest of us, we must model a strong work ethic for our children, Work was a normal part of the Garden of Eden. It's not evil in and of itself. It was there before the fall. It's only through sin that it becomes toilsome. Okay, it's a good thing. Now, this includes uh, includes work in the home, guys. Work doesn't end when you punch the clock and and you, you go home. Children learn nothing from a father who simply comes home and sits in the recliner. Quantity time is not the same as quality time. According to the Family Research Council, the average father in America spends around seven or eight minutes a day in meaningful conversation with their children. Look at that sink in. That's that's pretty sad. Our jobs, yes, they demand a great deal of attention in our lives. But it's very important to keep a balance, keep balance in our lives between work and family. Now, it has to be acknowledged that most men... uh, don't have a problem with working for a living. However, the main problem is usually the opposite. It's usually found in an overemphasis in work to the neglect of the responsibilities at home. Being a husband and father takes work. It's not easy. No one says it's easy. It has demands. Man works to provide for his family, uh, but he also works to nurture and to lead his family at home. There will always be times where your job demands you to be away from home. Uh, It'll demand that you put extra hours in, that you focus on a project that will temporarily dominate your time. And that's acceptable. There's nothing wrong with that. But it must be the exception to the rule and not the norm. If it becomes a norm, unfortunately, I think you'll wake up one day and your children will be grown. Perhaps your wife will be distant. And maybe you'll want to go back in time and change things yet it'll be too late. What would your future self tell you today? Look out 30, 40 years in the future. What would your future self tell you today? Would, would he say to work harder, to spend more time at the office, to, to pursue that promotion or that pay raise at the expense of your family? They'll understand. I don't think so. Work at keeping the important balance in your life. And remember your vital importance at home. And it's up to you. You cannot outsource this to someone else. It it is up to you. Now, we are far from perfect. Um, We mess up. We fall flat on our face. And we can't pretend that we don't. It's very important to remember the gospel in leading our families. It's gospel-driven labor that we have through Christ, the power of Christ, and that we, we leave the result to him. Okay. third principle here in our text is found in verse 3, where we see that a gospel-centered father will love like Christ. Christ loves. He, he sacrificed. He cares for us so much that he left behind his throne in heaven so that he could come and provide for his children. Some men, I think, need to be willing to leave the corner office and their earthly position to love and care for their family as Christ did. Verse 3 says, Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Clearly, he's uh, talking to men here because he says, Your wife, your children. Your children are, are olive plants. Your wife is a fruitful vine. And the picture here is so beautiful. It it's a picture of a family around the father as opposed to the contemporary picture of a, a father away from the family, perhaps watching TV while his kids are eating dinner. Now here we see something different. We see, we see the father looking around, and what does he see? He sees his wife as a fruitful vine there in the house. He He sees his children around the table as treasures, treasures to be cherished. When he looks around, he doesn't see all of his stuff, he doesn't see the 401k fund is growing and the retirement that he's going to leave to his children so they can get more stuff. He sees the value in the family itself. Both illustrations here picture uh, the need for caretaking and nourishment, the, the vine and the olive branches. They, they need caretaking, like vines and plants need a gardener to provide for them and to care for them so that they may bear fruit. First, a husband should care for his wife. Men, teach your sons how to love their future wives and, and give your daughters the kind of man, an example of the kind of man that she should marry someday. Um, you know, I heard it once said that it's true that girls are inclined to marry boys like their fathers. And so it's no wonder why so many women cry at weddings. Ephesians 5, 28, 29. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Man, one of the greatest things you can do for your children is to love your mother as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. When your priorities are properly in line, and you're caring for your wife as God instructed, she will be a source of tremendous blessing for you in your home. The phrase within your house and around the table both conjure up the idea of of the family and the home being a a refuge in the storm. We see the man uh, providing for his family and protecting them in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And he should expect to come home and and enjoy the fruit of his labor. So fathers, take the time to cultivate and care for your wife, not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of your children. Children will build their lives on the foundation that you established as parents. And the stronger that foundation is, the better equipped that they'll be. Next, fathers, care for children. Uh, Fathers, it should be self-evident by now that we must care for our children. They are like olive branches around our table. Ultimately, it's not our wife's responsibility. Mothers have a special relationship with their children that, that God has designed in a very unique way for them to care for their children in ways that a father cannot reproduce. However, this does not exempt fathers from the responsibility for caring and nurturing their children. The world is currently promoting this idea that fathers are not needed, that they're obsolete. Now, they're obviously needed to have babies, but quickly then they will be forgotten about, and society tells you that it's all right for two mothers to raise a child. By, by the way, they're saying this about women too. They're saying it's all right for two men to form a family. It's all under the guise of rewriting God's plan for male and female relationships. And God's design for marriage. Christians need to be the first to step up and defend God's plan for male and female identities. God's design for family. And that means a mother and a father. They're both important. They're both unique So yes, fathers, we have a responsibility in caring for our children. They are truly a blessing. The previous psalm before this, 127, says that the man whose quiver is full of them, like arrows in a warrior, is blessed, a blessed man. Children are a blessing. They're not something that we just tolerate. Verse 3 gives us a picture of these little olive plants around the table. And uh, they're not yet mature trees. You know, they're growing. These little shoots will grow up around this mature vine and they will eventually supplant that and, and will bear fruit for generations to come. But until then, they're just developing. They're not perfect. Sometimes we can put too high of expectations on our children, especially if they're, they're pretty much obedient. If they're, if they're doing a good job at obeying you, it seems like that's not enough. We, we want more. We want more. We want them to be even more perfect. But it's so unfair to them, and it's unfair to you. And it's not the gospel. None of us are perfect. We love and we care for our children in spite of their imperfection, just as our Heavenly Father does to us. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them. Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up into discipline. And instruction of the Lord. Perfection is not possible, and it certainly distorts the gospel. To teach our kids that they are to be perfect is to ignore the reality of their sin nature and and to ignore their need for a Savior apart from their own righteousness. Children require care, they require patience, certainly. Fathers, be patient with your children. Believe me, I, I know it's hard. It's very difficult. I have, I have six little olive branches around my table, and I know it's very hard to be patient at times. But just like this olive tree or vine, patience eventually results in the fruit of your labor. Listen to this important statement by Josh Medow. He said, Rules without relationship result in rebellion." Rules without relationship result in rebellion. You see, it's very important to have not just a face-to-face relationship with your children. I mean, that's important. Discipline and instruction is important. But we need to have a side-by-side, a shoulder-to-shoulder relationship with our children to where we can teach them how to live. Uh, it's like on-the-job training as parents. You live life together beside them through that relationship. And we will be cultivating the question becomes, what will, be, what will we cultivate? What are we cultivating in that relationship? You're cultivating fruit to be produced in subsequent generations, but what will it be? What will your legacy be? Our final principle this morning is that a gospel-centered father will leave a legacy of Christ. Verse 5 and 6, The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. There are two phrases here that imply long-term effects of this cultivation as a father. One is the phrase, all the days of your life. And the other is, your children's children. Our responsibilities do not end when your children grow up and leave the home. This uh, cultivation that we're doing now will pay dividends uh, for a lifetime, even to our children's children. And so we must be leaving a legacy of Christ to them. We must keep the gospel central in all we do. And it certainly means that we need to be intentional. Be intentional in doing this. Uh, It takes discipline and focus. We must actively pursue Christ or we will passively pursue the world. We can't just stumble into this. We can't uh, be passive on this. Passivity is a major problem today. And it must be rejected in order to be like Christ. Jesus was not passive. I don't know where we went wrong uh, in society where we conflate this idea of following Jesus and pattering our life after him somehow is equated to passivity. But this is not the case. It's a false narrative promoted some, in some circles. Jesus was a positive male role model. So, man, we are to be intentional. We're to be intentional in incorporating and modeling the spiritual disciplines in our life to our family We are to be intentional in our priorities, uh, prioritizing our life according to kingdom principles. And believe me, our children see what we're doing. It's much more important about what we do in our actions than what we say. What you do is much more important. Someone said, every father should remember that one day his son or daughter will follow his example instead of his advice. It's very true. You can't get away from that truth. They're going to follow our example and not just our advice so finally leaving the legacy of christ absolutely means being a good example now there's good news and there's bad there's bad news here okay the good news is it's pretty easy to lead okay it really is anybody can do it the bad news is that it's hard leading in the right direction okay what direction are you leading your family in We must lead our family to be a gospel-centered home. Fathers must simply lead by example. And I want to remind you of the gospel here again. It's central to all we do. Remember that the gospel is not about perfection. We don't pretend to our children that we're perfect, okay? We must be transparent to them. When we mess up, we go to them. We ask for forgiveness, okay? We point them to the gospel. We share the gospel of Jesus and how we are not perfect and we are all needing a Savior, all right? Um, the, gospel, the gospel-centered the gospel father remembers that it's not about perfection, but it's about direction. Right? What direction are we going? I always say that it's not about perfection, but it's about per- perseverance. We must persevere in that pursuit of Christ. And we'll stumble, but we keep up, keep getting up, keep pursuing Christ, and that's what God will bless. And incidentally, I want to remind all the grandfathers here that your example is still important as well. For all the days of your life, it says, until you see your children's children, be a godly example and and leave a legacy of Christ to your grandchildren. And that goes for all of us here, if we feel like we've messed up, we, we've, we've already uh, done something to damage that legacy, it's never too late. We start now. All right? Start right now and influence your family in a positive way. So, As as we wrap up this morning and we conclude this message, I simply want to encourage everyone here to be a gospel-centered home. And men, be a gospel-centered man and father and husband. Lead your family to be a gospel-centered home. It's your responsibility. Perhaps you're not a father, but maybe you know someone who's not fulfilling their obligations in this manner. You simply pray. Pray for them. There's power in prayer. God will hear it. Perhaps you're a son whose father has not fulfilled this obligation and and it's left you scarred. Pray to God to help you forgive them and to follow the example of your heavenly father, yourself. For all you fathers here this morning that are laboring for Christ, you're doing your best, you're, you're leading your families and you're trying to build a strong gospel foundation for them to launch out of on their life, I want to encourage you to keep it up. Uh, it's easy to lose heart, but persevere through. There is a blessing. There's a reward. Second Chronicles fifteen seven. be strong and do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. There is a blessing for a gospel home, and your strength comes from the Lord. You know, God loves fathers. He's a father himself. Praise the Lord for all of the godly fathers here today. I mean, there's so many here that have been such a blessing in my life and, and serve as an example for me to strive after. Thank you for that. For all of us here, this, this message this morning is intended to be an encouragement and a challenge. Keep looking up. Don't be distracted by this world. Keep focusing on Christ. If you're feeling like you've already messed things up, again, there's never a better time than to start right now. The gospel is not about the past. It's about your relationship with God right now and how he can change your future. Repent of any mistakes and respond to this challenge today. And I would simply ask everyone here this morning to just look around. Look around at the people beside you, in front of you, around you. Find a father, multiple fathers, maybe soon-to-be fathers. Find someone or, or many people that you can pray for regularly. and and I would ask you to pray for them. Incorporate them into your regular prayer life because, believe me, we need it. We need it. It's a big challenge to step up to, but we need to do so through God's power and give Him the glory for it, okay? So uh, as you do, just continue to pray for fathers and men all over the nation, all over the world. If you want to see a community, a nation, the world turn to God in revival and repentance, pray for fathers do this pray for fathers to, to do what God has called them to do ok All right, Well, thank you let's, let's go ahead and pray <clears throat> heavenly father we do think it or consider it a privilege that we can call you father uh, we do not want to take that for granted it's a special privilege we have through Jesus Christ we have direct access to you you care for us, you provide for us, you loved us so much to save us from our sins in spite of our past. Lord, I pray that uh, you will have your Holy Spirit fill us this morning to convict us of the need to rise to this challenge. I pray that we will be men that are courageous, that are bold, that will be active in our pursuit of Christ's likeness, we will stand apart in the world as a positive example, example that we get from, from your 33 years of life on this earth. You're our role model, but you're not just a role model. You are the very power by which we can conform our lives to your image. We thank you, Lord. But I ask your blessing on, on the men here, uh, fathers especially, but all the men that have a unique role given to them by you and you've empowered us you gifted us for a certain task and I pray that we will faithfully execute that plan that you've given us by giving you glory while we conform our lives to Jesus and to share this gospel starting in our homes our children our family our cousins our nieces nephews our wives and uh, just spreading out like ripples until the whole world hears about Jesus we thank you for that hope We thank you for that purpose, and we thank you for our salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.